Hello, my name is Sheila Ramjuk and I'm part of the ERS Monograph Editorial Board as their Early Career Member Representative. As many of you well know, I'm currently a consultant pulmonologist working in the Manchester region in the UK. Now today, we are excited to be recording another ERS podcast pertaining to the newly available monograph entitled Pulmonary Rehabilitation. We are privileged to be joined by one of the guest editors, Professor Anne Holland. Now, Anne is a Professor of Physiotherapy and Head of Respiratory Research at Monash University and Alfred Health in Melbourne, Australia. Anne's research programme investigates new models of rehabilitation for people with chronic respiratory disease, and her recent clinical trials have tested novel models of PR to improve access and uptake, which is especially relevant given the current pandemic. Now, these models include low-cost home-based, and tele-rehabilitation models. So welcome, Anne. Hi, Sheila. Thanks very much for having me. One of the first questions I always like to ask our guest editors is, why the interest? How did you become a professor of physiotherapy? How did that happen? Tell me. Well, I don't think there was a grand plan, Sheila. I don't think this is ever where I thought I would end up. But um, I came into physiotherapy, I guess, because I'd had quite a bit of experience with physios as a child. I was a, a runner in my youth. I was a sprinter. I actually ran for Australia as an under 20 many, many years ago. And so I'd spent quite a bit of time with physiotherapists who were in charge of trying to keep me on the track and you know, trying to keep my injuries under control. And I knew I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be a sports physio. But I thought when I went into physio that maybe I wanted to work in neurological disease and in fact that's what I did when I came out of university I found myself working on an acute neurological ward but what I really liked when I got there was the respiratory stuff so I sort of took a sidestep and ended up working in acute respiratory and that's in fact where I did my PhD is in CF in, in acute physiotherapy management and I really enjoyed that but as time went on and I had a young family I found it a bit more difficult to do my research and clinical work in an acute setting the evenings and the weekends and those sorts of things were, went much harder with the young family. I had little twins at that point. And so I moved into community management of respiratory disease and specifically into pulmonary rehab. And I never thought I would stay there. I always thought I was an acute person and I would end up back in the wards. But over the years, I found how rewarding it is to work in pulmonary rehab, but also how many unanswered questions there are for science in pulmonary rehab and really, you know, enjoyed having a research career there and having the opportunity to answer some of those questions about how we can best deliver this important treatment for patients. I love the way you so casually drop into the conversation that you were a sprinter for Australia. I love that. <laughs> Long time ago. I don't move that fast anymore. <laughs> you touched on something that I found really interesting. You said you'd started your family and you found that the acute work can, could be really quite challenging to fit in. So why was pulmonary rehabilitation slightly different? How did that fit in with your family life? I think it was because it was a community-based program. So you know, delivered at the sort of times of day during working hours, which were a bit easier for me to manage with a young family with you know lots of demands at the beginning and end of the day. It also gave me the opportunity to work part-time, which was really helpful at that time, whereas my acute job had been very much full-time and, you know, often weekends as well. This was very much more contained to during the week. And, you know, I was very lucky to share things equally with my husband in terms of my work, but it just made it easier for all of the family if, if I could have a, you know, a weekday job at, at that point. 
and uh, I was fortunate to fall into a weekday job in pulmonary rehab that I turned out to really love and enjoy and I'm still here many years later. I think your passion is evident from just how ridiculously well published you are <laughs> from looking at your research. I'm like, really? You have time for all of this? But I suppose, not a difficult question, but why is this edition of the monograph so timely? What was your driving force behind it? I think this edition of the monograph is important because we are at a point where we do have new science and new knowledge in pulmonary rehabilitation in quite a number of areas, actually. Probably one of the most important ones is around extending the benefits of pulmonary rehabilitation to new patient populations. We've, for many years, had a really robust evidence base for patients with CAPD, but in recent years, we've seen really good clinical trials for other types of patient groups as well. So patients, for instance, with pulmonary fibrosis and pulmonary hypertension or or lung cancer or bronchiectasis, we have strong evidence for benefits of pulmonary rehab for those groups now, and we need to be extending our programs so that those patients can experience those benefits. We also have an increasing understanding, I think, of how to personalise programs to the, the traits of people who are coming through the door. So things like how do we optimise health behaviour change? How do we optimise people's physical activity so that they become more active uh, in the community post pulmonary rehabilitation? Things like, you know, how do we identify important characteristics like those who have frequent falls, for instance, so that we can include a falls management program embedded within pulmonary rehabilitation to maximise those people's long-term outcomes. And all of these things, I think, are ready for clinical implementation now. They're not just in the realm of science anymore. They're ready for ready for the clinic. And so that's really what the monograph was about, is about trying to make sure that we're delivering the best possible pulmonary rehabilitation programs that we can in 2021 with all the knowledge that we have now. In my really humble opinion, I couldn't agree more, particularly in the fields of, as you know, pulmonary hypertension and pulmonary fibrosis. And I suppose it would be really helpful, Anne, if you could educate us though, because I was always curious because pulmonary rehabilitation seems like such a, a simple, brilliant sensible, actually sensible being the key phrase here, idea to be doing it. When did it first start? How how did pulmonary rehabilitation, I suppose, become a thing? Yeah, I guess it was first described back in the 60s. And Tom Petty was the person who first sort of started describing it in terms of science and publications. And it really grew, I think, through the 70s and the beginning of the 80s and started to see you know, some of those trials in patients who had co-workers pneumoconiosis and started to see the wider application of this to a group of patients who mostly really had smoking-related lung disease and, you know, perhaps in hindsight, some, some dust disease as well. But I guess one of the things that happened in the 80s is that people started to question, was this something that actually caused a physiological change or was it actually just, you know, something that made people feel better? You know, was it something that that put people together in a group of their peers and perhaps desensitise them a bit to their dyspnea and, you know, without really having any effect on the underlying physiology. So it was really the 90s where we had the important trials which showed us that we did affect physiology and particularly skeletal muscle physiology and improve fitness. And um, so, you know, all of those things enhanced the rigour, I guess, of pulmonary rehabilitation and helped us to see that this was an evidence-based intervention which really became a key part of our toolbox of, of the way that we we treat people with COPD particularly. 
you know, it took a few more years for it to extend to other groups. I think when I first started working in pulmonary fibrosis, you know, there were very few of those patients who got referred, but the ones who thought were really interesting because, you know, they were hard to treat. They desaturated a lot more on exertion. They often had quite rapid progression of disease. So that was really one of my, I guess, not first forays into trials, but most important forays into randomised controlled trials was in pulmonary fibrosis and really exploring the benefits in that group. And we now know, of course, that for people with IPF and other ILDs, there are really substantial benefits in terms of exercise capacity. I was just curious, again, that you mentioned that there was a a difficulty in um, patients with ILD, particularly IPF, having gaining or having access. Why do you think that was? Was, Is it an issue with funding or referral or just we're not sure it will do anything for that patient group? I think it was because there was a perception that this is a group of patients who were inexorably declining and that there was little that could be done for them to improve their situation. And certainly back in the day for IPF, you know, we we didn't have treatments for that group of patients and many of them were progressive. I guess in pulmonary rehabilitation, there was often something that I felt we could offer in terms of improving functional status, even if it was to maintain things for a bit longer rather than, you know, have a decline. But, of course, now we've had the antifibrotics come into play and we do have treatments for people with IPF. And I think these days pulmonary rehabilitation is very much considered a, an important part of the treatment for those patients. And we would see in our pulmonary rehab program actually that about 50% of the patients in our program now have ILD. So it has become, I think, very much more common these days than it was. That's brilliant that it's 50% now. And I certainly, from the patients that we look after, it, it, it's it's mandatory almost that every well, mm. not almost it is that all patients are referred, and the benefits from the groups from the rehab it's amazing actually when you actually speak to the majority of the patients at how much not only that they enjoy the classes but the friendship groups that they build, and I suppose. The other question I have then, perhaps slightly leading, is is there a particular chapter that you are quite proud of in the monograph? There is, in fact, a particular chapter I'm very proud of, and that's the one on patient perspectives in pulmonary rehabilitation. So I think this is something a bit novel for a pulmonary rehabilitation monograph. We have included as our second chapter a description of patient experiences in pulmonary rehabilitation, what they like about it, um, what they think they get out of it, what patients find challenging about attending pulmonary rehabilitation and also their perspectives on what we can do as health professionals to make it easier for them to attend and, and to get the benefits out of the program. So I think that's a really valuable contribution because it, it helps us to understand what patient-centred care in pulmonary rehabilitation really looks like and what, what our patients would like us to be doing in order to help them to be participating in that. It's actually so powerful. Some of the the statements, and I've got it up in front of me here, and one of them, I don't know why, it just, it really made me think about my patients, the people I look after. And I don't fight death because it's a useless thing to fight. A thing which is already decided when you are born, it is fate. Nonetheless, I'm afraid of suffering, pain, breathlessness, all these things are frightening. And these are things that primary rehabilitation really help with and the difference in the patients it's amazing and I suppose you see this in the patients who come to you am I right that these are their fears absolutely 
Yeah, I mean, I think you referred to passion for pulmonary rehabilitation before, and I think you find that in many health professionals who work in pulmonary rehab because we do get to see this firsthand in the patients that come through the program all the time. And it's a really rewarding place to work because of that, because you see that people's lives can be changed and that the important symptoms that they're struggling with can be managed and in many cases, you know, somewhat relieved and that people can increase their ability to be physically active and to do the things that are meaningful in their lives and you know it's a relatively simple intervention but it can make an enormous difference so it's a privilege to be a part of that. And from looking at that aspect particularly the fear of breathlessness, pain, your chapter pertaining to palliative care and pulmonary rehabilitation genuinely in my head I never would have put those two together. Explain a bit to us all about that chapter. Yeah, I think that's a really important chapter because there's some real synergies, I think, between pulmonary rehabilitation and palliative care. I mean, pulmonary rehab, I guess, comes at it from the perspective of improving function and also addressing symptoms. And palliative care, of course, is very much about improving symptoms and, you know, as a result, improving function. So we come at it, I guess, from slightly different perspectives, but with very similar goals. So the opportunity is there to work together to you know, really enhance outcomes for patients. And I think pulmonary rehab has always had a bit of a, almost a case management type role for patients with respiratory disease, where it's about identifying their needs and making sure that you've got the right people on the team who can address those needs. And often those needs are symptom management and palliative care. And pulmonary rehab provides an opportunity to link those services in much earlier and you know, really make sure people have got the supports that they need in order to, to live as well as they can with the disease that they've got. So you know, things like the opportunity to address more advanced symptom management techniques with experts in that field, things like advanced care planning, you know, there's a whole host of opportunities, I think, from putting those two interventions side by side. And that's what we wanted to highlight with that chapter is you know, how pulmonary rehab can be an opportunity, if you like, to, to really extend the multidisciplinary team across other services. And I think obviously with the pandemic, how has that affected not only that aspect of pulmonary rehabilitation and working within a team to better the care for our patients, but how has the pandemic affected pulmonary rehabilitation in your mind? Uh, look, I think the pandemic's affected pulmonary rehabilitation enormously. And I think looking back, we'll be able to say that there's been both positives and negatives associated with that. As I'm sure all of your listeners will be aware, many pulmonary rehabilitation programs, perhaps most pulmonary rehabilitation programs were forced to close pretty early in the pandemic. You know, we were trying to protect our, our respiratory patients who, of course, are vulnerable and, um, you know, encouraging them to shelter in place and not be in groups such as they would be in pulmonary rehab. So that you know, was very difficult to not be able to provide those important services for patients. But I guess one of the things that has meant is that we've had to look for new ways to do that. And in some ways, you know, this, this happened at the right time because we do have this emerging body of evidence around remote delivery and home-based delivery of pulmonary rehabilitation programs. And those things hadn't really come into common practice, I guess, although they were out there in the literature. And with the pandemic, a lot of the barriers to delivery of remote pulmonary rehabilitation programs kind of fell away overnight. You know, things like not having the right equipment or not having sort of support of your, your senior managers to deliver the program in that way, all of those things just 
changed. And all of a sudden we had a lot of programs who'd never been able to deliver remote services before who were able to move into that space and um, have gained a lot of experience with it over the course of the pandemic. So I think it's certainly accelerated our move towards alternative models. And in the long term, hopefully that will make it possible for many more patients to engage in the program to really increase the access for patients wherever they may be located. And in terms of the different models, what are the different models that are available that we use now rather than the standard everyone in a community hall with the physiotherapist there? Yeah, there's a wide variety of models and we've done in migrate some clinical trials on a couple of them, but um, certainly not exhaustive. So there's a, a home-based model that we developed initially, which is a low-cost telephone-based model, which is a model which relies on telephone coaching, if you like. So that's a one-on-one model where very reliant on working with the patient to set meaningful goals and to work through their exercise program and progress it each week and work on their meaningful health goals. So that's a relatively simple program, I guess, if you like, in the sense that it relies only on a telephone, no whiz-bang equipment required, so should be pretty accessible to lots of people. Um, but there's also, of course, the, the virtual group program. So using video conferencing where you can bring people together, you know, four, five, six people in a group who all can see and talk to each other and to the person running the program and doing the training. And then they can exercise in a virtual group environment, either with equipment like an exercise bike or a treadmill or perhaps without equipment, you know, using things that are available in their home. And further to that, there's been people who've trialled different kinds of apps and, you know, website-based workbooks and things like that to deliver a remote pulmonary rehabilitation program. So I don't think we have one ideal remote rehab model just yet. What we do know is that we need to make sure that whatever we deliver has all the essential components of the pulmonary rehab program as we understand it, you know, as we would have delivered it in person. We're just finding a different way to do that. And now that we are able to personalise our rehabilitation programs for our patients. Is it not difficult? How do you monitor someone's progression or progress, I should say, through through the rehabilitation program? How do you do that when it's so remote? Yeah, it's a good question. It depends a little bit on the model that you use. So some of the virtual group programs, it can actually be relatively straightforward because you are able to see people exercising. If you, for instance, have exercise bikes in the home, you know exactly what workload they're doing and how long they're exercising for, and you can progress that over the course of the program very much in the way that you would if you had them in front of you. So I think in lots of ways, you know, that doesn't feel that different to to what we would do for people who are in a group exercise class. It does become harder in some of the other models where you don't have direct supervision. Mm. And for those models, then it becomes much more about working with the patient to identify what their exercise goals are and their health goals and to revisit those goals every week in a very structured fashion and progress them over the course of the program so that you do get that progressive training load, you get people you know, being more active, you get people you know, adopting those healthy behaviours over the course of the program. The model we use, we have all of our physiotherapists trained in motivational interviewing specifically because we think that aspect of it is so important to really make sure that you can understand what makes this meaningful for patients and uh, help them to identify their, their goals and to really work towards them over the course of your eight weeks. That's your standard practice. It is for our home-based model, for the telephone-based model. Yeah, all of the physiotherapists in that model who make the phone calls are all trained in motivational interviewing because we think that's a really important part of the, the approach. You know, it's not just a chat. It really is making sure that we identify what the goals are and how we can get there. That's brilliant. And with 
other centres, say, perhaps wanting to look at these different type of models? Is there any particular chapter in the monograph that might be able to help people do this? We do have a, a couple of chapters actually in the monograph that might be useful for that. So we have one particularly on emerging models, which talks through, you know, the types of models that I've talked about today and some other ones as well. So that goes really into, I guess, the science that sits behind it as well and the, the evidence for benefits for those types of programs in comparison to our standard pulmonary rehab programs in person. And we also have a chapter on implementing a pulmonary rehab program for centres that have not had one before. And that has some really practical tips, both about these new programs, but also about implementing just a standard centre-based pulmonary rehabilitation program. So all of the things that you might need to think about if you're starting one of those from scratch. So I think that's a really important chapter as well, because it is very practical. It's about how many staff do you need? What sort of equipment do you need? What you need to think about in terms of monitoring equipment, both for an in-person person program or a remote program, how you might measure outcomes and, you know, what sort of quality assurance you might have put in place to to make sure that you maintain that over time. What do you think the future of pulmonary rehabilitation, what what does it hold? Good question. I think there's lots of opportunity still to really optimise what we do in pulmonary rehabilitation for individuals. So, you know, personalisation, I guess, of pulmonary rehabilitation still has opportunities that we can realise. There are some groups, I, I think, that we still perhaps don't include in our models as well as others. And that might be, for instance, groups of people who come from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds, for instance. There's more to be done to make sure that we can engage with people who you know, in my setting might not speak English as the first language, for instance, or people who come from cultural backgrounds where the types of programs that we run maybe aren't something that, you know, they're super comfortable with. So I think there's lots of opportunity to optimise our delivery in those ways. Another group of patients that I think we perhaps can continue to optimise our delivery is those patients who have cognitive impairment. Um, We do see that quite a bit uh, and more as time goes on. And I think, you know, finding ways for those patients to engage in the program is also an important challenge for the future. And then I think we have this perennial problem around, you know, making sure that people have access to pulmonary rehab really across the world. I think we have made some inroads in that in developed nations over the past 15 years. I think in lower and middle income countries, pulmonary rehab still is not available in many places. And uh, we need to think about what might be effective ways to extend the benefits to more people in more settings in different cultures, different countries, what, what might be the best, most appropriate types of programs for settings where pulmonary rehab doesn't currently exist. We'd like to thank you again, Anne, for taking the time to be with us today. I would encourage not only the respiratory physiotherapist, but all respiratory clinicians to read this monograph. This edition will help the respiratory clinician to understand the evidence that supports pulmonary rehabilitation, how to recommend and refer those to pulmonary rehab, as well as promoting this provision, especially to those that we look after with chronic lung conditions. I'm afraid that this brings us to the end of this podcast. We are so grateful to you, Anne, for your passion and dedication to this area. I hope the listeners enjoy this podcast and edition of The Monograph as much as I have.